few details before I start my story. I live in Northern California in a small townhouse with my girlfriend. I've decided to change the names of both people and places, just to be cautious. I don't want anyone going out to the beach I was at, trying to dig up clues and instead find the trouble that I found. I'm sorry this is so long. I've tried to keep it as brief as possible. You have to understand that I've barely slept at all in days, and it's difficult for me to keep my thoughts in order. Saturday, March 26. John and I found the camcorder half buried in the sand on Stinson Beach. When I picked it up out of the sand, water leaked out from inside the camcorder. Sand was packed into every crevice, and battery pack was missing. We dried it off with a beach towel and propped the cassette drive open. There was a digital cassette cartridge inside the drive. It had a yellow plastic head and a Panasonic logo, but no label or sticker attached. It seemed like the camcorder itself was pretty much trashed, but we figured it still would be possible to recover the data on the tape itself. I had an older Sony digital camcorder at home that used the same type of tape. I took the tape and camcorder inside with me when John dropped me off at home later that day. Then I set it down on my computer desk and forgot about it for almost a week. Thursday, March 31st. John came over again next Thursday and we saw it on my desk. I told him I had forgotten about it and hadn't even tried to play back the tape yet. We popped it into my Sony camcorder and hooked it up to my PC's Firewire port, opened up Roxio's video capture application, and told it to scan the tape for footage. Only one scene appeared on the screen, and I will describe it to you as best as I can recall. A few feet in front of the camera is a woman. Her back is to the camera and she's walking down a narrow dirt path, possibly even a deer trail. Tall, dry grass and small bushes line either side of the path. Based on the lighting, it is most likely sometime in the early morning or evening. The sky is cloudless and tinged with a soft orange color. Other than the shuffle of footsteps, the only thing that can be heard is seagulls crying and the soft sound of ocean waves breaking against the shore in the distance. She's wearing what used to be a one-piece swimsuit. The top half has been ripped or cut apart and now hangs down off of her hips. She's naked from the waist up, dozens of ugly red welts and cuts across her back. It looks like she's been whipped or badly beaten with a stick. A length of thin rope, more like twine, has been used to bind her hands behind her back. The twine is wound so tightly against her wrists that you could see her hands have begun to turn a shade of blue from lack of circulation. The twine is cutting into her skin and small rivulets of blood have run down her hands and fingers, dripping onto the dirt trail behind her. During the course of the scene, she only takes a few dozen steps. The clip is only 30 seconds long, and right before the clip ends, a man's voice can be heard. Are you filming? You better not be filming yet. I told you to wait until we get inside. 
and then the clip ends. Both John and I were unsettled by that one short scene on the tape. It seemed authentic. Someone's home video gone horribly wrong. I tried to copy the clip to my computer, but every time we played the file back, it was just a mess of scrambled green lines with no audio. John took the tape with him when he went home later that evening. He wanted to try to use his MacBook and parents' camcorder to see if he was able to recover the clip onto his computer. He said maybe it was just a problem with my firewire cable. And it was the last time that I ever saw him. Friday, April 1st. Now at this point, I can't think of any unusual happenings. A normal Friday workday, no different from dozens of other Fridays before it. I called John to ask about the tape, but he said he hadn't had time to look at the tape again, but he was going to stop by his parents' house after work and borrow their camcorder for the weekend. Sunday, April 3rd, John calls me. It was in the evening, sometime after 7 I think. He sounds excited and tells me he was able to get the clip to save onto his MacBook. The video plays back, but the sound is missing. I tell him to upload the video online, but he wants more time to try to get the audio working too. Wednesday, April 6th, unable to get a hold of John for two days. Calls are going straight to voicemail. Finally, he calls me on Wednesday, just as I'm about to get ready to leave work and head home. I don't think I noticed it at the time, but looking back on events, his voice sounded odd. There was almost no inflection to his speech. It was flat and emotionless. I thought he was calling about the tape, but when I asked, he told me that it wasn't important anymore. He said he had found something and we needed to get back to the beach. Now it takes almost two hours to drive out to Stinson from my house, and I told him there was no way I was able to get out there on a weeknight after work. And even if I could... It would be nearing dark by the time we got out there. And for some reason, this seemed to make him angry. I promised I'd go on Saturday with him, but this wasn't good enough. He said he needed to go that night. That there was something very important. He kept saying he had something to show me. I asked what, but he said I had to see it for myself. Finally, he called me a stubborn asshole and hung up. Thursday, April 7th. John won't answer my calls. His voicemail says his inbox is full and won't accept any new messages. Friday, April 8th. When I got up to take a shower in the morning, there's a small amount of wet sand spread out on the bottom of the tub. I think that maybe Sarah has only now gotten to rinsing her bathing suit out from the time we were at the beach two weeks ago although I don't see her suit hanging up to dry anywhere in the bathroom. It's mildly puzzling, but I forget about it as soon as I leave for work. Only now do I realize that it was the start of the strange occurrences that were about to drive me into the frantic state I'm in today. Later at work, my phone chimes indicating that I have a voicemail. I hadn't noticed the phone ringing, but this isn't entirely unusual as I don't have the best reception inside the office. It's certainly not the first time this has happened. 
I dial into my voicemail, and it's a message from John. He sounds calm again, no hint of his previous anger. I'm going back to Stinson again tomorrow morning. Meet me there. There's something I want to show you. I finish my work and go home. I decide to tell Sarah about the tape and how it's making John act strange. But when I get home, she still hasn't gotten back from work. I make myself dinner and watch some TV, and there's still no sign of her. I call her work, and they tell me that she left when her shift ended at 4pm. Then I call her mom in LA to ask if she's heard any word from Sarah, but she hasn't. It seems as worried as I am. I fall asleep on the couch watching TV. Saturday, April 9th. Sarah was still gone when I woke up Saturday morning, and there's no way I could go meet with John with Sarah missing. I go online and try to find any reports of traffic accidents on Friday evening, but there's nothing. And finally, I decide to call the sheriff's department. They tell me I could file a missing persons report. There is no waiting period to do so. I give them all the details and they promise to call me back as soon as they hear something. Sarah's mom calls me again in the evening. She is very upset that no one can find any trace of her daughter. Sunday, April 10th. I awake from the most vivid nightmare in the early hours of Sunday morning. In the dream, I'm sleeping in my bed, spooned up against Sarah. I wake up and I'm freezing cold. The bed is totally soaked with nearly frozen water, and it reeks of salt and seaweed. Everything is wet. The mattress, pillows and blankets, everything. My arms are wrapped around Sarah, and her body is just as cold as the water, possibly even colder. I prop myself up and turn on the lamp next to the bed. Sarah is asleep on her side with her back to me, and I see that her arms have been bound behind her with twine. The knot is so tight that it's turned her hands blue, and there's blood seeping from the cuts in her wrists. I'm paralyzed by absolute terror, the kind you can only experience in a dream. And slowly, Sarah rolls from her side onto her back, and I could see her face. It's her, but she looks deformed. Her face is too broad and her nose looks flattened and smashed, almost like she's pressed up against a piece of glass. Her eyes are bright and shiny, her mouth is locked into a terribly wide grin. There are far too many teeth inside her mouth. She tells me there is something she needs to show me. I wake up in an empty bed, bathed in sweat and tangled in the bed covers. And I swear, I can still smell the ocean. Eventually, I leave the house to get food. On my return, I noticed wet, sandy footprints leading from the grassy lawn right up to my front door. There's a wet piece of twine wrapped tightly around the door handle. When I untie it, I notice my hands have been stained a dull red. Monday, April 11th. I couldn't sleep. I called into work and I told them I was sick. 
I lay on the couch all day watching TV and I had no appetite. At some point, I must have dozed off on the couch with the TV on. I wake up and the TV is blaring noise. A local news report is on and the news reporter is yelling, almost screaming his news report. It's a story about hundreds of dead bodies washing up on the beach last night, all of them with their hands bound behind their backs. He looks directly into the camera, almost like he's looking right at me, and he says, You need to get down to the beach. There's something I need to show you. The TV turns off. My apartment is freezing, and I can smell salt water. Tuesday, April 12th, another night of fitful sleeping, but at least no more dreams. I'm exhausted from stress and lack of sleep. It's difficult to keep my thoughts in order. I called work and I told them I was still sick, and for some reason, I don't want them to know about my missing girlfriend. In the evening, a deputy from the sheriff's department called me. He told me that they found Sarah's car abandoned in a parking lot near Stinson Beach. I tried asking him more questions, but he seemed very elusive and wouldn't give me any straight answers. I hope they didn't think I'm a suspect in her disappearance. He told me that I needed to meet them at Stinson first thing tomorrow morning so that they could ask me some questions. Shouldn't they want to question me at the sheriff's office? Before he hung up, he told me that it was imperative that I be at Stinson tomorrow. He said that there was something he needed to show me. I called Sarah's parents' house and her dad answered the phone. I told them about the deputy finding her car. He said it wasn't important anymore and that everything was going to be okay. Just make sure you meet with the deputy tomorrow morning, okay? There's something you need to see. Tuesday, April 13th. Another nightmare. God, I hope it was a nightmare. I'm so tired from not sleeping. It's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. In the dream, I was laying down in bed again. The clock said 3.28 a.m. I woke up to a soft tapping noise coming from the bedroom window. I tried to ignore it to go back to sleep and I hear the tap two more times and then Sarah's voice Walter I know you're in there please let me in there's something I want to show you Walter my bedroom window is on the second floor I ran downstairs, my gaze locked onto the floor, afraid of what I might see outside the window, even though the Venetian blinds were drawn closed. I fled into the small guest bedroom slash computer office on the first floor and locked the door behind me. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. The house is filled with the smell of seawater again, stronger than before. Wednesday, April 14th. I'm terrified and nearly mad with the need for sleep. I don't know what to do or who to ask for help. I know I can't stay locked in this room all day. I've decided to write this all down and post it online, some place where people can read it, but possibly won't 
take it seriously. I'm afraid I won't make it back home ever again. But I have to go to Stinson to talk with the sheriff. He's already called twice asking me where I am. And if he shouldn't just send someone to pick me up and drive me down there. Hopefully everything will work out to be okay. And I'll be back home later this evening. <laughs>